This is episode 124 with Robin Moore. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on your impactful journey. Wow, wow, wow. Honestly, wow. Get ready for a lesson on the human experience. This woman you're about to hear from just gave me one of the most enlightening experiences of my life. She's she's one of the best gifts to the world that I've ever been exposed to. Her magical sense of perception and embodiment of the human experience and seeing that she is a conduit as a gift to the world is something that I've never been exposed to at this level. I've obviously definitely felt it come across with some amazing human souls that I've crossed paths with on my journey and that I've engaged with on this podcast. But Robin's existence takes it to a new level. When I was doing my research, I knew this was going to be a beautiful chat with a wise soul and I was excited and intrigued about what might come of it. But I honestly couldn't have predicted the outcome of how this episode would make me feel. I could not have predicted it. So Robin Moore is Australia's most in-demand female speaker, captivating audiences in her life-changing presentations. Robin is also one of Australia's most well-known voiceover artists, best known as the voice for the cartoon character Blinky Bill, which has been on TV in multiple countries since 1992. She's also the voice for many other characters in that show, in the Blinky Bill cartoon show and other movies and lots of other TV commercials. Robin is also the brains and one of the voices behind the longest running series in the history of Australian radio, How Green Was My Cactus, which has been on air for over 30 years. Most empowering though, from my perspective, Robin is a wish granter and a national patron of Make-A-Wish Australia Foundation and has been involved heavily in the organisation for more than 25 years. She's an ambassador for many other charities as well and truly shines the light on what it means to live a purpose-driven life well beyond your own existence. In this episode, we discuss the power of the word and how you can choose to change your life from one word. How Robin has had a life-saving effect after Tasmania's greatest tragedies. Why Blinky Bill is an empowering conduit that changes and saves people's lives. The physiological benefits of the wish effect and why this philosophy can change your life. We talk about parenting, authorship of your life, philosophy, love and the power and importance of being living intentionally and being in your life. And we cover so much more. Honestly, this is a deep pearl of wisdom. 
So let's hear from the legend herself, Robin Moore. So, Robin, which word are you today? I am being today um, passion. What does that mean for you? Yeah, for me, passion is like this um, uh, fire stick. Um, I'm a Tasmanian and um, I have a friend who was on the committee to invent the um, the um, torch for the uh, you know, Olympics in 2000 in Sydney. And so we submitted this lovely idea of the torch and it was based on a Tasmanian Aboriginal fire stick. And the Tasmanian Aborigines, uh, many of them didn't know how to make fire, so they had to carry a fire stick with them wherever they went. And uh, so I, I kind of see myself, when I talk about passion, as the fire stick holder so that uh, you ignite, you ignite everybody's spirit. Oh, I love it. I can really relate to, as you're speaking to that, I ran with the Sydney 2000 Olympic torch, so I feel like that I'm, I was holding the passion stick now that I think <laughs> about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't win the bid. We were second, but I still think, I still love the concept of that torch. And the reason I ask that is because you are known to talk a lot about the power of the word. And that's a big part of what I want to unpack with you today. And I, the way that I sort of look at what your word of the day and you operate from obviously from that space for today around passion, I talk about anchoring into it and, and two energetic conditions that I anchor into every day and the words that I often operate from are pride and gratitude. And I I do often choose other ones like I'm more giving today than ever. I'm more present. I'm more abundant and things like that. But is that kind of the concept that you do when you, when you, one, when you choose the power of the word, uh, sorry, the, the word of the day, but then also empower others to understand the power of choosing the word of the day? Yes, I'm I'm absolutely hopelessly in love with the fact that we have authorship and that every day when you wake up and you put your foot on the floor, that's the first second where you get to invent who you're going to be. So nobody else tells you, uh, Facebook doesn't tell you, TV doesn't tell you, uh, Donald Trump doesn't tell you, you tell you. So um, every day it's up for grabs and every moment of the day you get to define who you're going to be right now in this moment. So nothing is fixed and uh, that concept really excites me. And whenever I uh, finish a talk, I always ask my audience, which empowering word are you going to be before we say farewell? And um, I was with a, a group of school children in Tassie, country school, And a little boy said, I have a word. And I said, what's your word, Lockie? And he said, lifeful. And I said, oh, oh, Lockie, I love your word. Did you make that up? And he he nodded and said, yes. And and I said, well, I'm going to steal your word, Lockie, and every audience member is going to hear your word, lifeful. And, And I went home and I looked it up, and it was last used in the 13th century. So we don't use the word life full anymore. We use life less. Mm. And it was little Lockie in grade seven in a country school in Tassie who uh, brought that word back and he made that up for himself in that moment. So um, he's empowering all these wonderful people that I speak to and they'll probably never meet Lockie, but um, he's responsible for, again, igniting, igniting that word within people. Lockie sounds like a little legend. Why (laughs) do you believe that people struggle to 
to sort of buy into that concept? Why is it something that we, everyone doesn't do every day to really attach to a word, to feel that empowerment, which obviously switches their, their great emotional, their cascade of all the helpful and healthy and feel good hormones going. Why do you believe in society that it's, it's not something that's practiced from most people? Yeah, it's part, it's not in our curriculum in the latter years. It is, there's a, there's a, a taste of this authorship in the early years curriculum, which is looking at being, belonging, becoming. So little children get the concept of authorship very, very quickly. Mm. So if I'm working with, you know, preppies, they understand completely which empowering word they're going to be in, in a moment and they will seize, you know, friendship. In, in one little girl said, um, uh, what was it? She was going to be um, belonging. Um, one little little boy said um, enlightenment. I mean, who were his parents? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was about to say. Well done, parents. <laughs> Whereas as we get older, you know, we just get this plaque from our stories and our experiences of life that sort of settles on top of us. And after a while, it ceases to be dust and plaque and becomes concrete. And then you need a, a detonator to kind of explode all of the reaction from us, I say. So we're usually human reactings mm. rather than human beings. And um, it, it just takes those powerful conversations where you can open up that possibility of something other than that because we really, oh, we're wasting so much of our life. I mean, turn on the TV. I, I don't think the story in the USA has changed much over the last year. It's, it's endless. It's the never-ending story of no possibility at the moment of make wrong of uh, one-upmanship. It's 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 just a whole story of reaction at the moment and not action, not being. Mm. And you mentioned there before about curriculum, and I want to unpack the human beingness a lot more as well. But the when you said curriculum, are you referring to structured school curriculum only, or do you see society has a curriculum that sort of squashes that that um, being, belonging, becoming? aspect out of us as well. Yeah, it would be lovely if we all had some kind of curriculum for life. You know, I, I'm, I'm committed to people finding and creating a life that they love, uh, like a curriculum for being, for living, for um, connecting. Um, if that became a universal thing, wouldn't that be fantastic? But um, within schools, I mean, that's where I first encountered curriculum because I'm a primary school teacher. That was my first vocation. And I've never stopped being an educator. Um, now as a speaker, I'm speaking to people and inviting them into a life education. So, um, you know, as parents, what's our curriculum for our children? What's our intent What's our purpose when we first hold that little munchkin, that little bundle in our arms? You know, what are our dreams and aspirations for them? What sort of parent are we going to become? And I know you, congratulations, new dad. Yes, <laughs> thank you. And this complete transformation in your life where, you know, you're now a dad and the whole world has shifted on its axis. And, and we have such great you know, so many aspirations, you hold this little bundle and you go, oh, I'm going to be the best father, the best mother in the whole wide world. And then, you know, you stop a parent in the street and say, oh, is this your beautiful child? And they say, oh, yes, he's beautiful when he's asleep. Or, you know, if it wasn't for Derek, I'd have a life. Or I can't, you know, wait for the school holidays to be over. Or, you know, and this stuff comes out of people's mouths and you think, oh, what happened 
to the moment when you first held them. Where is that curriculum? Where are those dreams and aspirations? Where, where is your intent? Where is it? Where did it go? It got lost somewhere in life as life just comes at us like a tsunami sometimes. Do you, and you're a parent with grown children, obviously. What was the word you used the other day when we were on the phone? <laughs> I have two chadults. Chadults, that's right. <laughs> there's no word for adult children. You know, and people say, how many children have you got? And you say, two sons. And they go, well, how old are your boys? <laughs> and my husband and I have got this real, oh, it's, it's a real focus that um, when our sons became 16, we were no longer going to call them our boys and they were always our men. Um, because we wanted to give them that rite of passage, that mm. that, that was the name, men. So chadults kind of works for us and it <laughs> stops people saying, you know, people will say, oh, this is my baby, Scott. And you look up and he's six foot four and, you know, 20 stone and you think, holy cow, how did you give birth to this? (laughs) (laughs) So with your chadults, remembering back to, do you remember the challenges of or or the the way it was for you when you went through those phases of, because obviously there's sleep deprivation, there's challenges in life and it takes away from, or not takes away, but it changes your lifestyle choices. Do you remember the mm-hmm. challenges to not let those words come out of your mouth and how you were, because you're obviously a very intent person and a very connected soul. When you were a new parent, was that an easy thing for you to, to transition through? Yeah, and, and we, were, we were very blessed. My husband works from home. And I was, um, after I left teaching officially, um, I became a voiceover artist, which has to be the best job on the planet for a working mum because um, we, we moved to Sydney and studios were just 10 minutes away from home. So you'd get in the car, race, race in the studio, do a couple of takes, get the recording, back, back home again. And, you know, my sons hardly knew that mum had disappeared. So... They really grew up with with two parents mm. at home, and my husband's a philosopher, so he's you know very intent on what sort of dad he wants to be. So um, it was it was great support. I mean, I know people listening to this. Some people want to stick pins in their eyes because their circumstances are extremely challenging, and they didn't have that kind of start with their children. Um, uh, but we we kind of looked at our life and designed a lot of what we had, you know, and there was a lot of good fortune in there as well. But it enabled us to be um, older, wiser parents. We started our children later in life. We've been married for 10 years. So I think, you know, you either start when you're young and you can do all kinds of, you know, fun games and <laughs> get down the floor a lot, or you're the older, wiser parents. So we're in that category. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you say older and wiser because eldership is wisdom. So that's beautiful. And <laughs> what you say there, that's one thing that my gorgeous fiance and I were really proud that we, you know, we're 33 and, oh, sorry, going on to 33 and we've got our firstborn and we're proud of how we've set up our lives that we want to be present. We want to be very interactive parents and we also want to fulfill our own individual potential at the same time. So we've sort of set ourselves up where very similar to what you guys were saying, where we can still fulfill our unique individual potential as individuals. And then, you know, we are 
ourselves first and then we're a couple, this is how we say it, and then we are parents. Not that it means we don't, we, we're selfish and push all Oliver's needs to the side and our future children, but what we're saying is that if we don't respect that, then it's really hard to stay, to be the best parents that we can be for Oliver if we're not our best individuals, our best couple and our best parents. Yes. I mean, you know, the adage when you're on a plane, they always say, you know, the oxygen mask falls down and attach it to yourself first and then help the others, the, the mm. children around you. It's the same kind of thing in a relationship when you're a parent. And I mean, my husband and I have this, this lovely quote that, that has stood us in good stead for 47 years of marriage and 50 years together because we, we, we're sort of quite old now. And um, <laughs> it, it's, love, love is being responsible for your partner's tranquility. Love is being responsible for your partner's tranquility. Yeah. Can so connected and would, yeah. So we, we enable the other to do mm. you know, something that brings them fulfilment and tranquility. Um, and it, there's no 50-50 in a, in a relationship. This is, I think, what is behind most break, breaks down in relationships where uh, I remember my mum saying, a relationship is a 50-50 affair, Robin. And uh, she'd been married three times to three alcoholics. And I thought, no, you're not really a good judge, mum. <laughs> because 50-50 sets up conditional love mm. and that's the root of all evil, I think. And I didn't get that until we'd been married for 17 years and somebody said the wisest thing to me. They said the trouble with relationships is we eat the menu and not the meal. Oh, that's an analogy I haven't heard before. I'll say it again. We eat the menu and not the meal. Now, I'd been, you know, when I first met my husband-to-be, he was gorgeous, tick, you know, generous, tick, thoughtful, tick, you know, tick, 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 tick. tick. I thought, I love this man. I'm going to marry him because I'm going to marry myself because he was kind of like me. He had lots of ticks, you know, in the list, in the menu. And then I did an audit on him a couple of weeks after the marriage and it was like tick, tick, cross, cross, tick, cross, tick, cross, tick, cross, cross, cross. Some days I was in love and some days I was out of love. So this love stuff was really fickle, was really, you know, fluid and and hard to hold on to. But we continued on for 17 years and it was ordinary like everybody else's relationship until, you know, I realised that, um, gosh, you know, is this, is that all there is? Is that song, you know, is, is, is this all it is? And when this uh, lovely coach in, in a course said, you know, eat the meal and not the menu, uh, I had a really cathartic experience and went home and I said to my husband, um, I need to marry you again. And he said, why? <laughs> and I said, um, I've, I need to choose you. I need to choose you um, because I'd really been loving you conditionally and some days you were hot and some days you were not. And um, so he said, okay, and we took our vows again and I promised two extra promises. One was never to know him. And that meant I let go of the list, the list of expectations. So there is no list. So every day he will do something that surprises me now because I'm not looking for the menu. Mm. And I'll go, ah, well, look at that. Wasn't that 
interesting or, you know, lovely or thoughtful or something. Um, and the other promise, which is a really big one, um, to love him as he is and love him as he isn't. Now, it's easy to love somebody as they are, but not as they're not. And you would not put me together with my husband, Hal, in a million years. People are mystified by our relationship because oh, he's a philosopher. How did we get together? You know, uh, he's, he reads 10 books a week and I'm a farm girl. You know, if you read a book on the farm, you know, you were ostracised because you could be crutching the sheep or, you know, <laughs> cleaning up the dam or something, you know. Uh, that means you're, la you're lazy if you read books. And... Um, He's, um, you can tell that I love words and I love the words passion and enthusiasm and vitality and fiastic holder and all of that. His favourite word is ambivalent. <laughs> you know, so you'll go to a movie and I'm laughing and crying and going, oh, oh wasn't it beautiful? And he'll say, um, kind of ambivalent, really. <laughs> but, you know, I'm like with this person who I used to say was an opposite. We were opposites. And uh, after I had the catharsis, I realised, no, we're actually complementary. Mm. And there was this huge shift. And so I sort of see that I've had two marriages to the one person. I didn't leave him, but the first one was conditional and this one's unconditional. And, uh, and that's where you can, I love now that he reads 10 books. All of the things I hated that used to have me so aggravated, I love now. You know, I see him reading a book on, he's reading a book on algebra at the moment. I mean, who in their right name would sit down with time on their hands and go, oh, I must read a book on algebra. <laughs> <laughs> um, I look at him and I think, isn't that wonderful that he cares so much about the world that he wants to read a book about algebra? <laughs> no doubt this beautiful relationship of yours gives you some great content and material for your, your speaking engagements too. <laughs> it is, it's one of the lovely outcomes that when I speak like this about my relationship, um, it gives permission for other people to come over and, uh, you know, often people are in tears and they, they say, I'm going to look at my partner differently tonight. Mm. One lady recently came up and said, oh, thank you for your talk. I'm going to leave my husband tonight. And I went, whoa, 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 stop, 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 stop. <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't delved into this conversation that we're having. And so it was like fast-tracking 10 minutes, you know, a lifetime into this 10-minute talk. And, uh, and she said, thank you. No, I don't need to leave him. I need to have another look. That's beautiful. Um, you know, so there's so much in that in, in you know, when you realise a lot of us are with the meal already. Mm. It's just that the list, the menu takes us away from somebody who's just decent or thoughtful or kind. Some people are with partners who are just so goddamn kind and maybe they've, they've got bits missing in the, on the list but... Gee, that's the basis for a, a, a lifetime of love. And we think that, you know, we've only got two things that you need in common in a relationship, and that's your senses of humour and your values. If you've got those two things, you, you can set up a beautiful relationship, I think. Very empowering, very beautiful. I'm now. I'm really keen to continue unpacking your very intriguing mind, which we've already been hearing a lot from. But before I do, I want to say, Robin Moore, welcome to your life of impact. Thank you so much. <laughs> so we've been connected by another very 
very giving human soul and that's Matt Barber who created and runs the QE school here on the Gold Coast, which is, you know, it's just amazing. He sort of set up this little school that's helping transform young people's lives and transforming their passion. I'll go back to that word that you started with, their passion for learning. He's really tapped into that. So I think it's amazing to be connected by someone like that, but I'm really grateful for that. And when whenever someone recommends another person that I should have on the podcast, I always do a bit of homework first. And and when I started looking into, because I knew Blinky Bill, but I didn't know Robert Moore. And when I looked more into your work, I thought, wow, you are the type of person that should be on your life of impact. And here we are. So I'm super grateful for that connection. <laughs> Aren't you lovely? And big cheerio to, uh, to Matt too. And now the listeners have probably thought, oh my goodness, this is a mental health issue now. Why are you talking about Blinky Bill? <laughs> now I'll let you elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, after I uh, left teaching officially, I moved to Sydney to try my luck as a voiceover artist. So I've been a voiceover person for 47 years. And a part of our joy, you know, is to, um, every time we open this hole in our face, we get words to come out through that hole into people's listening and their hearts and their spirits. And so I get to do ads or I get to do a documentary or uh, recorded messages for phone banks or um, or cartoons. So I was the uh, female voice for Yoram Gross for many, many, many years. So worked on six dot movies and worked on uh, Flipper and Skippy and my favourite cartoon series, Blinky Bill. So I'm the voice of Blinky Bill. And so I've actually babysat thousands and thousands of people in Australia who are 36 years of age or younger. <laughs> and that includes you, Brett. So you are extraordinary. <laughs> 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 I have so many memories as I hear that voice come through. <laughs> See, that's the power of the voice and the word. Um, you know, when I stood in front of that microphone, every time I uttered a word from Blinky, I was connecting with you. You know, his voice was for you. That message was for you and every other child listening. So there was a really powerful intent to connect with Australia's children and that's the teacher in me. That's the mum in me. That's the communicator in me. And it means that when I do that voice, audiences, you know, they have a reaction just as you did. Some, some people cry. Some people fan themselves. Um, it, it's a physiological reaction. And uh, it's, it's very precious to me. And I often go on then to talk about um, uh, ringing Make-A-Wish children because I've been national patron of Make-A-Wish and a wish-granting volunteer for 26 years. So I've been ringing children in Make-A-Wish um, who, who know Blinky and his voice and his messages can transform their health. There's a physiological reaction to Blinky. And I've got letters and emails from parents saying, you know, one parent said, our child has cystic fibrosis and after you rang her, her lung function increased dramatically. I believe that so much because of what you say, that physiological shift, because when you bring happiness and joy and 
and connectedness and hope into someone's internals as opposed to maybe their fear, their worry, their anxiousness. And when we look mm-hmm. at a hormonal perspective of that space that they were sitting in compared to when Blinky Bill jumped inside of them and just completely squashed all their stress hormones and increased all their helpful, healthy hormones, I can completely understand that. How, mm-hmm. that let's talk about that because you are very heavily involved in charity work and, and you mentioned there about the, the Make-A-Wish Foundation. What You've been involved with them for over 25 years and I'd love to know how you did get involved but then also talk to me about more of those kind of situations of that empowerment and and that commitment to the organisation based on you knowing those kind of results that you're getting with children. Yeah, well, Blinky actually was the entree to make a wish because I received a cold call one day from the branch president in Hobart and she said, oh, hello, Robin, Um, I'd just like to invite you to walk in the Make-A-Wish walk. And I said, why have you cold called me? And she said, oh, well, we know you're the voice of Blinky Bill. And I said, um... Um, look, I don't dress up in the suit, you know, so if I go in the walk, unless I cough up a furball on the highway, nobody's going to know that I'm Blinky Bill. I said, how about I get his voice to, um, to do an ad for you and my friends on radio will put it on for nothing. And she said, oh, that sounds great. So I did an ad and they played it free of charge and uh, the walk raised $14,000 because so many people signed up because Blinky told them to. And that was when I first learned about this precious organisation where we grant wishes for children with um, life-threatening medical conditions. And um, the way we actually grant a wish is creating this wish effect that is quite profound and doctors around the world are really amazed at the uh, the wish effect because we draw out the child's precious wish. First of all, we capture their one true wish and then we make the wish granting last longer and longer and longer so that we increase the anticipation of a wish so that if they're having treatment, they don't just get a puppy when they start chemotherapy or where they go to have their operation. They get it at the end, mm. you know, and all the while they're doing things like building a kennel or they're, um, you know, finding out how to, to, to manage puppies and they go to puppy school and they uh, look at parks where they can walk their puppy so that um, everything is built around this anticipation phase and the whole wish journey follows a pattern where when you present the wish, and then there's this wonderful outcome. In fact, a professor in America recently just uh, made a video and, and wept and said that um, he had a young boy who he thought was about to die because he had so many fits every day. And he went on his wish and when he came back, the doctor said, um, how did you manage your fits on the trip? And he said, I didn't have any. They stopped on the first day of my wish. And um, the doctor weeps and says, you know, if only I'd known this, I could have saved so many other children's lives. And in Spain, the doctors prescribe a wish for a child who's not responding to treatment because they've seen the, um, the effect that it has on a child they're looking forward to. So, you know, how blessed am I to be a volunteer in an organisation that um, creates wonderment and um, we make the impossible possible you know we've made it snow in Cairns for a young girl who was too ill to actually go to the snow so we made it snow in Cairns we had a young girl five with a pacemaker in her heart Scarlett who said I wish to see a unicorn fly across the sky let's have a green mane and a green tail and when you lick its horn it has to taste like rainbow 
And um, I'm very proud to say that I was a storyteller at a party in Melbourne with 200 people and a unicorn flew across all the skyscrapers in Melbourne and when it landed, she rode the unicorn around for a whole hour and when she licked its horn, it tasted like rainbow. (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) And she's still doing really well and that was three years later, uh, three years ago. You just made me think that the wish effect, as you call it, Surely that has to resonate with people to think, well, why reserve these benefits to obviously these amazing children in need for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, but why can we not take that philosophy into people's lives who might be experiencing high levels of stress or anxiety or depression or many other challenges? What's your thoughts around that with the wish effect? Yes, the, the children, the wish children have trained me over 26 years and yeah. given me so many distinctions for my own life. So, you know, when you do volunteer work, you get 100 times back what you give, as you would know with the work that you do. Um, it played out many, many years ago um, when, um, and this is this is a really really horrendous story. We had a dad in Hobart who actually murdered his four daughters. Um, He had a massive mental breakdown and it was just after the Port Arthur tragedy and he killed his four daughters. Now, I had heard that the girls at this school didn't want their dads to tuck them in at night. And so I rang the principal and said, look, you don't know me from Adam, but I'm a speaker and I wanted to come and talk to your girls because I'm not willing to have another 600 victims of this horrendous tragedy, you know. Um, and he said, yes, come on Monday. So I had 30 minutes, like 30 minutes to transform their reaction to this and to set them on this new trajectory where they would be able to invent themselves and to have outcomes, you know, just as you've spoken about, where they get to create a, a different future. And uh, it was Blinky Bill who was the conduit for that relationship because he was really hot 20 years ago when this happened. And so I said, you know, I'm Blinky Bill and I think you're all extraordinary, you know, and they all fanned themselves and went crazy. And then I said, I wish I had a big magic wand and I could say, Sim Salabim, this terrible event didn't happen and it did. And you have every right as a meaning machine because the moment something happens, we humans bring meaning to everything. I said, you have every right to have this uh, be a disempowering meaning, you know, that life sucks, you can't trust your parents, I'm not going to study anymore, my life is over, I'm going to leave this state. Or as the author, you can actually create an empowering meaning. Either one is okay, disempowering or empowering. It's your call. And I told some some other very uh, powerful stories in there. And I said, what if an empowering meaning is that I'm going to live a magnificent life to honour my friends? What if that was a meaning you could bring to this? And I could feel 600 girls just take this meaning on. It was, it was almost like this, <laughs> I could almost feel them sucking that meaning into themselves. And um, it was, it was a, a really sacred day. And I had a letter from a year 12 student afterwards who said after her friend was killed, she couldn't eat, she couldn't sleep, she couldn't stop crying, she was not going to study, her life was over. And she said during the talk she realised how extraordinary her life was, you know, thanks to Blinky saying 
you are all extraordinary. Um, and she said, I'm not only going to study for my exams, I'm going to do extremely well. This was five days after the tragedy. So I, I share that story with principals and educators, not to share about me, it's nothing to do with me. It's about the spirit of our young people and how powerful they can be when you give them the right door, the conduit for actually accepting that uh, this has happened and what does that mean? It means that this has happened. And then to actually take forth that what is the meaning that we're going to bring to that, either disempowering or empowering, and then to support them in that empowering uh, journey forward. And I'm still stopped in the street by mums who say, oh, you know, my daughter got her PhD after that. Um, you know, and it's, um, I, still, I still meet, I, I still get emotional. I still meet beautiful young women who were in that audience that day. And it was 30 seconds out of our lives. And, um, and then we took the unimaginable um, and, and turned it into something beautiful. I've got tears in my eyes because I listen to that and I put myself in that place and think I've been in that space of feeling disempowered. And as you say that, I feel like now looking back at the, my traumatic adversity experience where the space really opened up, where it was kind of like just the light shining on me to say, it's now your choice to give meaning to this situation. And I can tell you now that that choice didn't happen within a day or two or within a 30-minute presentation. It was weeks of work and reflection and tough times. And and for you, I, yeah, I can just like the energy within what you just presented there and the, the, the ripple effect is unbelievably um, life-giving or what the little legend Lockie said, life full what you did with that, with that chat. That's unbelievable. Yes. And if you, if you scroll back to that, um, yes, we all felt powerless. It was like people in Hobart were walking in slow motion. First we'd had, we'd had the Port Arthur tragedy and then we had this and, and everybody was just, just, just in slow motion. Um, but it's, it's, it's the intent of, you know, hearing something and then taking action. And it was making that phone call. That's that was the, that was the catalyst. That's that's where the fire stick is. And we all have that capacity. We all have the freedom to take that step. You know, say Geronimo, say Geronimo, you know, jump to jump. I mean, the, the, the principal could have said, "I'll oh, get off the phone, you stupid woman." You know, what do you think you could possibly? do you know like it's all or it's all too soon it's too raw you know we'll have all these reasons why not um but but as you know once you step into that risk of the why not why not what's the worst that could happen you know i remember after the port arthur tra tragedy in, in hobart i um I thought, oh, my God, how is the poor woman who's trying to market Tasmania coping at the moment? Because I and I, I um, and I tried to think who she was, and I was going through a, a drawer at the time, and there was the letter that she'd written three years before, just as a general letter to people on her database. And I thought, how uncanny is that? I was just thinking of her, and there is the letter with her name. I rang her and I said, look, 
I am so sorry you are in this hard circumstance. I don't know how you're managing. I'm a speaker. I'm just on your database. Is there anything I can do? And she said, oh, my God, Qantas just rang five minutes ago and said they were having a breakfast for 200 travel agents and would we like to provide a speaker? <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't want to be woo-woo about this, <laughs> but it's, it's when you've got to actually go, what can I do? I think it was um, uh, Mary McKillop said, never see you know, a need without doing something. How much of those kind of intuitive kind of circumstances that happen. Actually, I want to reframe what I was just going to say. What does Blinky Bill mean to you? <laughs> he's, he's the embodiment of the Australian spirit. He's the holder of larrikinism. He's audacious. He's courageous. And he makes mistakes. Um, but he um, is accountable for his mistakes and um, is a little rip-roarer you know, intent machine who cares for his mates. So there's lots of qualities in there and characteristics in Blinky that I think is uh, part of the essence of who we are as Australians. I think we are truly unique on the planet and I'm a little fearful that we're starting to forget these characteristics. You know, that the plaque is starting to settle on our kindness uh, plaque is starting to settle on um, our connection, you know, relationships. Uh, it comes forth, again, all of our good qualities come forth when there's a tragedy. You'll notice that, you know, after the yeah. Brisbane floods, what, 50,000 volunteers the next day. Look at Blaze Aid, you know, all of these lovely people out there helping farmers rebuild their fences at the moment. Um, we are amazing in times of trouble. Um, but it kind of dies and is suppressed in the ordinary moments. And the reason I, I asked that part of the question is because I heard you say the word conduit earlier when yeah. you were referring to. So do you see that coming from Blinky Bill? Because you mentioned there that obviously it was Robin Moore that stepped in to empower those girls, but Blinky Bill was there to, was Blinky Bill there as a conduit to help that empowerment and that belief being still? Absolutely. If I didn't have the Blinky bomb, the Blinky factor, that day I would have had to work so hard to get mm. their trust, the girls' trust. But just, just doing Blinky and being Blinky, because he, he occupies a part of my brain and he says stuff, I have no idea what he's going to say. So it's really quite, quite weird. But just having Blinky there, bang, we were, we were connected. We were blood sisters, you know, we were, we were blood brothers because he's a boy. But <laughs> <laughs> just a, a beautiful moment and it, it happens over and over and over again. I mean, he can get me into trouble where some people who don't know Blinky Bill will think it's weird. But it's when I tell my stories that people then see the, 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 the magical effect that he can have. I mean, I was speaking at the Dance for Daniel um, event in Brisbane. I mean, such, such a you know, sad story. And from that story of Daniel Morecambe, this empowerment has come from his family and all those who support you know, the Daniel Morecambe Foundation. Um, but half the audience were federal police and half were supporters. Um, when I, I was comp here at MC and I did the voice of Blinky Bill, well, all of the young people 
resonated with that, but the federal police wanted to, you know, lock me away uh, until I said that it's Blinky who gets to sometimes ring children who've been sexually abused and I can speak on the phone because that phone is so beautiful. It's so much better than TV um, because I have access right through the, the voice into somebody's soul. Um, you know, and I ring children who've been sexually abused as Blinky and because they love him and they have a relationship with him, he takes them back to before the hurt happened. So I can have a conversation with them and, 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 and kind of mould bits of their spirit in there and give them really powerful messages and then when they come back through... It's almost when they get back to the present as though they've got a Harry Potter invisible cloak on, you know, that they've got some resilience there from this character that's um, reinstated courage and, you know, their authorship and, you know, they've got this future. Um, and it's beautiful. I can hear sometimes that um, a child doesn't feel dirty at the end of the conversation. Ah, you know, that's... That's um, it's a great privilege. Yeah, absolutely. So many, so many insights there. When I, I when I hear you speak, I can just imagine both ends of those conversations and those engagements and and the empowerment. It's, it's one word that just resonates through listening to you talk. Is so much empowerment comes from from you and and your soul and your way of giving, and it makes me think actually. I say to people that I'm an optimistic lover of life and, you know, that's the way I kind of approach, approach everything that I do. And with everything that you do for people uh, and the conversation that we've had now and on the phone the other day and, and looking at all your work, I believe I look at you as a very optimistic lover of life and you're very much a giver of, you know, that's been a resonating message also throughout this chat. But I also believe that... It, when people live as optimistic lovers of life, it's a, it's a choice and a choice of a mindset for us to live that way. It's a choice for everyone. How have you developed like this kind of growth mindset way of living and this, this what I'm going to put the words to is you as an optimistic lover of life. How, how has that developed for you? Is it because of people you've surrounded yourself with? Is it your upbringing in country Tasmania? Is it from adver adversities and growing stronger? Is it from personal development work? Where does it come from within you? Yeah, the recipe, there's lots of those things you've mentioned, which combine to give me optimism. Um, my parents were both extremely optimistic. My little dad ran away from home when he was 13. I say little because he was only four foot 11 and a half. <laughs> and he wanted to become a jockey, but he loved his food too much. So he became a stockman and a shearer chef. So he got to stuff himself with food and ride horses. So after we left Tassie, I grew up in the outback in Queensland for many years. And dad had a, a lovely expression. He'd say, there's an optimist and a pessimist go past a stable full of horse poo. And the pessimist looks inside and says, oh my God, it's a stable full of horse poo. And the optimist dives into the pile of poo and there's poo going everywhere. And a little voice underneath the pile says, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we were kind of brought up with looking for ponies under piles of poo. You know, <laughs> Dad, Dad left our family when, when I was nine. So I had the most beautiful, ideal childhood until I was nine. And then Dad had a horse crush his spine when it fell on top of him in a thunderstorm. And he took to drink and he was smoking 120 cigarettes a day and um, ended up the, the marriage finished and, and he left and went into state. So... Um, my, my formative years had all sort of been done nicely and that's what stood me in good stead. And my mum had a horrendous childhood where she was given away to a teacher who tortured her and um, she had uh, 15 hairdressing salons, two boarding houses, four restaurants, did houses up and sold them, was Australia's first female real estate agency manager. Okay. Mum took on when she escaped at 18 um, because she had this optimistic outlook in life. And she'd always say when something happened that was terrible, she'd say, oh, up in the air with it. And she used to just throw her hands in the air and throw it away. And uh, so that stood me in, in good stead. And, you know, and we've brought that into our family life. Our, our sons are very optimistic and we, we love the word bliss in our family too. Um, and um, Joseph Campbell, the philosopher, when his students would say, oh, I've got so many options, Prof, you know, which course should I take in my life? And he would say, follow your bliss. Mm. So uh, our oldest son, when he was four, said, Mum, I want to be an actor. And um, um, he's now a very well-known actor in, in New York in a show called Billions. He's just filming Condor in Toronto. He's done Netflix, Daredevil. He's, he's following his bliss because we didn't stop him. He remained optimistic and took the highs and the lows and the no's and the yeses as they came and, um, and just followed his bliss. You know, my youngest son, uh, we're at mass one day, he was on the floor and he said, Mom, and I said, shh, shh, shh. Mom, it's really important. I said, what is it, Daniel? He said, I can see a vein up your nose. So he became an architect. He's <laughs> <laughs> an award-winning architect now because it's all about space, and, you know, and uh, he, um, he designed this bar in Melbourne five years ago, the Nash Hotel. And he fell in love with an American architect and went to America to follow her. When he came back, he said, uh, oh, mum, it's, you know, six months away from the project. They'll probably change everything. And um, they invited him to the photo shoot. And he'd only done, he'd done all the drawings and the project development. And he sent me an email from the opening and a photo. And he said, awesome, mum. I just walked into my drawings. Oh, beautiful. And I just thought, isn't that gorgeous? You know, and that's the power of optimism, of, of remaining optimistic in the face of all kinds of challenges so that that bliss, you know, the, of the ultimate journey that you're on is, uh, is never eroded. Yes, you may have to take some different pathways, but you, you get there in the end and you keep inventing yourself along the way. And uh, we never stopped our sons from experiencing, you know, failure and, and uh, challenging circumstances because that's where you grow your character. You know, I, I, people, parents are often trying to be helicopter parents and save their child from ever having any hurt or, you know, um, despair or um, disenchantment or you know, upset, but that doesn't really serve them, you know, because um, people who haven't had any challenges are, mm. are very shallow people. What's your greatest challenge to continue to follow your bliss? Not dying. 
<laughs> what measures are you putting in place to not die, Robert? <laughs> Live. You're not thinking about dying. You're thinking about living. <laughs> no, I, I'm being flippant here, no, because um, <laughs> um, when I, I mean, I'm actually creating my legacy now, and I'm very open-minded about dying. I'm quite looking forward to it, really. Um, so it's about creating the legacy so that you live in others. Beautiful. Um, and that, that's it. I was, um, I was watching the Logies one night. I must have been desperate on a Sunday night, some hotel room, and um, they had Yoram Gross, his photo on it. Now, I, I worked for Yoram for 30 years doing all of his cartoon voices, and it was a tribute to all the people who'd just passed away, and Yoram had just passed away. And there wasn't a sound, you know, from the audience. And I thought, you just don't know who this man was. He's created all those cartoons that you grew up with and, and then you didn't even acknowledge who this man was and I'm sitting on the edge of the bed having a little pity party for this man and I suddenly heard a, a voice in my head that just said, I live in you. And I thought, yeah, he's not dead. He's wow. Not dead. I'm not going to let him die. <laughs> and that's how you say your legacy continuing yeah, yeah and you know and every story that you share at a conference and because i've had 47 years as a voiceover artist every 30 to 60 seconds in my presentations i make sure when i plan my whole presentation um that there are these moments i call bugger me moments you know where it's going wham wham moving things from people's head down into their guts into their heart into their spirit so I'm, they're like little babies, these stories, and I want to sort of bring them into people's souls so that when I cark it, you know, they'll have this memory in there of, oh, I'll never forget, I'll never forget. And I've started to say to my audiences now, um, my intent today is this is going to be a day you're never going to forget as long as you live. And there's often a little snicker, you know, because it's pretty outrageous to say that. And I say, look, here's my, here's my mind map. Um, I could have left that moment off this and been safe and comfortable, but I like to live at risk. And I've just declared the outcome of this talk. So I have to deliver now. You know, so when you declare a mighty future, mighty purpose, um, then you have to deliver. It's like I was speaking in Ireland uh, to 500 Irish rural women. And there's a lovely adage in Ireland, if you want to climb over a great big wall, first throw your hat over. At least you'll be committed. <laughs> <laughs> so that in essence is what I was, was doing and what I'm doing now. I like to just say this is the intent and I, and I declare it. Not in la-la land territory, but it means that I declare that mighty future and now be accountable for God's sake and deliver on that. Otherwise, you're a fraud. With the feedback that you get from those kind of deliveries, and I was looking at your framework, for, obviously it changes with different organisations, but some of the framework around you know, teaching people to reinvent, re-engage, and all of those re-things, what's, what, from the feedback, what is the most, what's the things that stick most with people that they can either relate to or buy into or instill belief from that you deliver? I'm sure it's all like that, but surely there's a really common one where people are more related to it. Yeah. Well, the, the biggest thing that happens and the unique uh, result is that people see themselves mm -hmm. after a presentation. 
Um, and I, I, I've got a new logo, which is um, Beyond Informed to Transformed. So I'm not going to stand up there and just talk about things, you know, blah, 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 blah. I tell these relevant stories based on the briefing notes that I get from my client. I send out a brief before I begin and they tell me what they want for their audience. And then it's up to me to design that talk that takes all of their audience into this big conversation, into this journey into themselves so that those outcomes um, are actually there and present at the end of the talk. So people see themselves, they see their behaviours, they see when they sold out, they see when they've not been the author, they've not been accountable, and then they're left with a moment of choice. So they can, and I've got lots of lovely sort of um, content where they can be a total jerk if they want to be and laugh at themselves being that. Now that's a different, that's a different arena than just being a jerk. It's being a jerk that knows you're a jerk and having fun with it. It's like cynics. I mean, a cynic who doesn't know they're a cynic is a really dangerous person. But I have a lot of friends who are cynics who know they're cynics and they're funny. You know, because <laughs> you can dance with it. So it leaves people with this beautiful um, freedom to see themselves not being their best selves and then this point of choice to then become their best selves. But not 24-7. Mm. We have failings. We, 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 we're fraught with all kinds of sort of um, um, uh, things that will disconnect us, which will have us uh, sell out sometimes. But... Um, you know, you can actually see when you're doing that. That's a big difference in the talk so that then people take on authorship, they take on their intent. Instead of saying, I'm going to work and being really miserable about that, I'm going to serve. Serve. I'm going to listen. I'm going to support. You know, I'm a lady in tears one day, she said, oh, my God, my husband's got a mental illness and I just saw who I've been for him. I come home and say, look at you, you know, on the couch, what have you done? Nothing as usual. And she said, I, I can't believe I've been saying that to him. She said, I'm going home now to say, how was your day? Do you want a cuppa? You know, so the word support suddenly came into existence for her. She, she embraced that and she can be a, a healing influence in his life rather than a destructive influence. You know, that, and that took one second of an audacious act of the will to access that. But it's the stories and the distinctions that take people on a journey which embeds that and suddenly they, <gasps> and they have a bugger me moment. And it's just beautiful. <laughs> I tell you what, I've had quite a few bugger me moments in this chat. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I can know, now know what you mean by your terminology of the power of the word and it's it, all I can say is bugger me. <laughs> and I could talk to you for hours, Robin, but I'll, I think we should wrap it up and uh, maybe I'll have to get you on another time and another time and another time and another time <laughs> to really let live on. But be, before we do wrap up, I do have a few questions and I'd like to, this is one that I do ask all the guests, and what do you believe is good action for people to take to be more impactful in their lives and in their communities? Um, I think it starts in the morning and when you're in the night, whenever you wake up, I think, I think that's the moment, the pivotal moment where it's I'm going to 
who am I going to be today? Um, and knowing knowing your purpose. And that sound, it can sound very wanky saying that. But um, if you don't know why you're getting up, then have a little sleep in. You know, just sleep in until you've actually thought that through. We don't think very deeply nowadays. We just kind of get up and go through the motions and everything's kind of unwieldy and it's kind of accidental to actually bring more um, planning into that day. Uh, and you are the planner. You know, you actually have so much say in your life. So I, I think it's kick-starting that day with your intent, your purpose. Mm. Yeah, why? Why am I even getting up into this day? Even just one thing can make a difference. You know, it's if you were going to be the word kindness today, um, I mean, you don't have to be doing great things like flying to the moon. It's, it's buying a sandwich. I remember when you used to get, had to pay a toll on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. I'd watch people just drive through and leave some poor toll keeper there in a big spray of you know, exhaust fumes. And it was simply just looking into their eyes and smiling and saying, thank you. And that's not rocket science, mm. but it's about being responsible for connecting with another human being whose life is pretty, you know, that's, that's a pretty hard job. Thank God they don't have toll keepers now. But um, th that, that, is, that, that you don't know what went on in their life that day. You don't know what's going on. Kids could be drug addicts. A spouse could have walked out. They could have mental illness. You know, so just taking on your intent and being one word is enough to actually transform people's lives. I love it. Two-part question here. Where can the listeners learn more about you? So where's the best place to follow you online or website? And then also how can I and the listeners help you on your journey? Oh, what a lovely question. No, that first part is, um, look, go to my website. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit old, you know, with, with IT and all of that sort of thing, so we are actually doing it up. But there, there, there are some little clips there called Remindivators, and they're just little little videos that I've recorded in my lounge room, and there's about 17 of them. And uh, it's free subscription. And some of the distinctions that we've been discussing today, you can get another take on those. So um, just go to my website, which is robinmore.com. And, uh, and chase those down. Perfect. How can you help me? By actually being some of these distinctions that we've shared. I mean, there's a whole lot of bugger splattered in this podcast. And if the people listening to this just take on one of those, then that enables me to live in them. You know, as I said, when I cark it, <laughs> and that's part of my legacy, you know, and and why I'm here. You know, I I love people, yes, but the thing I'm most in love with is having existence. You know, I just think that being human is so profound. So just grab grab this with both hands, you know, suck it in. Uh, no matter what's happening in your day, you know, seize it, grab it, use it, aim it. You know, I think the Jesuits say, name your gifts, um, claim your gifts, aim your gifts. 
out into the world. Ooh, I love that. And speaking of gifts, one of my top core values is actually giving. And I give all my guests a gift for coming onto the podcast, for giving your time and value. And Robin, I'm going to send you I one of our... <laughs> I think the gift is you, Brett. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's reciprocal. Being, yeah. <laughs> I'm being bigger than the circumstances. I mean, your your listeners will have uh, probably heard your story over the podcasts, you know, and for you to be doing this and enabling us to then share what we've learned in life, that's uh, that's amazing. Well, I'm, I'm very grateful for those kind words, but I'm still going to give you a gift. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we've got some charity tees where we've had some Paralympic athletes design the tees and they choose a charity that's close to their heart and we help them design it. We sell the tees and donate 100% of the profits to the charity. So I'm going to send you one of those. And Thank you. Thank you so much. I also want to give you a gift kind of for you to re-gift. We do a mental strength training online program that talks a lot about the mindset aspects and um, empowerment and emotional intelligence work. And I want to, to, to give that to you for you to re-gift to someone. It might be someone in your community. It might be someone that you come across in, in an, another community in the future, but just something to, to keep in mind. I'll send you the details of that when you see what it's about. Maybe you'll, you'll, see, you'll think of someone that can, it might be one of high school children that you come across or anyone like that, but I'd just love to give you a gift that keeps on giving as well. That is so beautiful. I just received an email today from somebody who actually kick-started my speaking life from Ansett Airlines. So I think maybe he's going to be the recipient. There you go. I love it. (laughs) Now, is there anything else that you would like to say to the listeners or anything else you would like to say to ask me? Um, When you wake up in the morning, Brett, yeah, what are your first thoughts? I've trained myself, actually, before my newborn came along. (laughs) (laughs) After tending to Oliver and facing your soul. (laughs) Um, It's it's all about gratitude. I I do the practice of gratitude for three things every morning before I get out of bed. And, but I don't just say what I'm grateful for. I make sure I feel gratitude. If I say I'm grateful for this bed, but I'm not smiling and feeling the bed, or if I say I'm grateful for my gorgeous fiance, but I'm not picturing her in my mind and have that, that melting joy that I get when I'm around her, then I'm, then it's not true. So yeah, my days start with expressing and feeling gratitude. Yeah. I I love, um, I love that you, you live, you live everything. You're not just talking about it. You are the embodiment of that. Well, that's that human being experience, right? That you mm. that you resonate with so well. Mm. Yeah. So that's um, that's my question to you. And and what are, what do I want to say? I want to talk about laughter and just leave you with uh, a little tip to um, get a daily laugh because I've been involved in a show called How Green Was My Cactus for 33 years on the radio. And if people just go to the web and look up cactus.com.au, you'll be able to have a little daily laugh at our politicians. And God love them. I wouldn't be a politician for quids. So, um, but uh, this show will give you a daily laugh. And uh, to our farmers who may be listening, who've had it tough with Mother Nature, um, it, it really is something that will help you build resilience 
um, as you're looking at either flood or drought or fire or whatever else Mother Nature dishes up. So um, just a little tip to access your laughter that way. Brilliant. Robin, you're a legend. Your genuine soulful connection to the human experience is infectious and your ripple effect of you being you is abundantly empowering. Keep shining your heart-filled and impactful light to the world, my dear. Thank you so much, Brett. Thank you, darling. Wow. What's your word for today? Who are you choosing to be? Are you following your bliss? I trust you took some value from this connected, wise soul and hopefully it's made you start to think differently in some aspects of your life. And if it has, don't just let those thoughts come and go. Be wise, as Robin suggested, and actually take action and be the change you want to see in the world. Make sure you follow Robin online at robinmore.com.au and check out those short little videos that she was talking about. I actually indulged in most of them before I connected with her and they're great. They're great little gold nugget bombs. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please reach out and let Robin and I know. It truly is empowering for us and in alignment with our purpose to hear how these conversations help you create clarity or positive change in your life. Please, if there's one thing you can do for yourself today, don't just let this be another episode you've listened to. Please allow yourself to reflect on how you can make positive change in your life or positive impact in someone else's life today and feel the energetic shift as you empower the journeys of those affected. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.